it's been a tough season for a lot of us, and I know a lot of my pastor friends, it's been a really tough season. I've seen some of them, some of them walk away from the pulpit, and they've spent the heart to not go back. And what blessed me about the leaders that are around my wife and I is that you guys never quit. Yeah, we had our moment, but we, we came back to this place where we knew that this is where we needed to be. And we fought through, we fought through, we pushed back, and we're here today. And it's, it's because of the collective heart in this room. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. So in that, I say well done to all of you. You know, last week I preached a pretty hard sermon on Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is not one of those favorable sermons that people just love to hear. They want to come to church and hear what Jesus has to say. When Jesus says words like, whoever does not love me more than their daughter, their son, their father, their mother, their brother, is not worthy of me. That's hard words because we're so family-oriented. We're so all about our kids and our family and taking care of each other. I get that. But what Jesus is really saying is put me first. And when you put me first and you come to me, you really have something to give to that family. You really have something to bring to that brother. You really have something to bring to that sister. Amen? That's what he's saying. He's not saying... If you want to follow me, you've got to leave everybody and everything behind and forget it. That's not what he's saying. You have to read the word and put it all in context. But, you know, when we look carefully at the teachings and the example of Jesus, this whole call to follow me takes on much greater clarity. I, I, I really mean that. You know, follow me is indeed a call to walk as Jesus walked. It is a call to live a life of radical faith and obedience, love, obedience and, 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 and radical love to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I'm telling you, once we truly begin this journey, and once we kind of begin to find a stride or a rhythm or whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden, our first reaction, we may come to this point where we go, what am I doing? You ever had that moment? You're like, I want to follow Jesus. And you get in this point where you go, whoa, this is a little bit harder than what the pastor preached. This following Jesus stuff, I don't get it. I feel like I'm in a battle all the time now. Whereas before, I never got bothered. But when I set my heart to follow Jesus like Flint, when I just set, oh, and I got on the track and I started moving forward, the winds of adversity are coming at me from every direction. I'm going, holy cow. Did I really sign? Was there fine print I missed in this covenant, God? Am I missing something here? But I want to tell you, a Christian is not a person who experiences no bad thoughts or no bad desires. A Christian is, is constantly at war with those thoughts and those desires. You must know this in following Jesus when you hit that wall, bam, you're like, I can't go any farther. You have to realize that there is a war going on inside you. Paul said this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Paul really lays this out. You've got you to kind of read this slow to understand what's going on here. Paul makes this comment. He says, I do not understand what I do. 
For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many know that one? You're like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep cycling back through and coming back to that same rock on the trail? Something's not right. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. You know, really, let me say something about the law, the law of Moses, because Paul's in this context here. Really, the law, when you sum it all up, it just showed man how much he needed God and how much he could not do without God. Pure and simple. And he says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have no desire, I have, excuse me, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. How many know that one? You want to do good, you get up with the best intentions, you're like, whoa, I'm out of bed this morning, and I'm going to go rock the world for Jesus. Man, I'm going to preach the gospel at Everywhere I go, I'm going to share the love of God. And you go out the door and you get the phone call or you get the text or you stub your toe or the dogs run off and you're just like, uh, and spun sideways. And then you slide on your ear for about 100 yards. All of us have had that bad day at Black Rock. He goes on to say, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What an honest self-evaluation Paul's doing here. But then he goes, now, excuse me, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Let me go on. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For my inner being and my spirit man I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Wow. You ever come to that point where you just want to find that self-flogging thing and start beating yourself? Man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When, when we become aware of the depth of the indwelling sin that is inside of us and the dysfunctions that, that really plague our lives, we come to this place where we know that it is impossible to rise up to this call of follow me as Jesus asked. And by the way, follow me doesn't mean just to the grocery store and then you go home by yourself. Follow me means continually following me. That's literally what following me means. We get on there and we continue to follow. When it gets rough, we continue to follow. When it gets deep, we continue to follow. When it gets into the unknown, we continue to follow. When it gets into the darkness, we continue to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't get to pick and choose on this journey. We follow. And you'll go into places and you'll go, oh, what am I doing here? One time, I had a brother call me. He was really struggling with alcohol. And he was getting to the point where he was becoming suicidal. And he called me. And the Laughing Clam used to be a tavern. And he called me and I said, I said, bro, where are you? And he said, I'm down here. I uh, can't remember the name of it. But 
I was, he said, I'm down here and I can hear people laughing and snorting in the background and I'm just like, oh, great. I do not want to go into a bar. But God said, you need to go get him. So I went down there and I remember the moment I'm standing there going, I don't want to go in there. And I just heard this call in my heart saying, Jesus said, follow me. Okay. Opened up the door, went in, and it was so bizarre. I stepped into the building, and you could feel <laughs> the spirit come and move everything back. And I remember just walking in there, and I remember I put my hand on his shoulder, and I leaned down and said, we got to go. And he kind of bolted. He was like, he, he told me later, he said, Doug, I was frozen. I was frozen to that bar. I couldn't get my hand off the glass. I couldn't get off the stool. I could not move. And I remember as we turned, I put my arm on his shoulder and started walking around. I could feel the darkness <laughs> closing in behind me as the door shut behind me. <laughs> the power of God is amazing. He gives us the ability to go and to follow him into places we never dreamed we would ever want to be. But he's there and he's with us and he's protecting us on that journey. Some of you are going to be called to go after people in some of the darkest, ugliest places in the world. And you know what? God's going to give you and empower you with the grace to be able to do just that. You know, if we have or you had or I know I certainly had a reaction that was like one of dismay. When I come to Jesus, I start the journey and I hit this wall going, oh, I cannot do this. This is just too big. I can pull a rabbit out of a lot of hats, but I cannot continue to walk this walk. I've had that moment, and I'm sure many of you have hit that wall for a moment. And I'm telling you, I think that this reaction really is quite healthy because it causes us to stop and evaluate our hearts and our lives and take a look at <clears throat> it is indeed impossible for us to follow Jesus. And that's precisely the point. It's impossible for us to follow Jesus without a power beyond ourself. Yeah. You catching this? Ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding. And it's called the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus sent him. He said, guys, I'm going now. I'm paraphrase. When he was a sin, he said, I'm going now. And I'm going so he can come. He's going to help you. He's going to hold you. He's going to walk you. He's going to be your paraclete. He's going to fight for you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to be there as your counselor, your hope, your hope. He's everything and every bit of that and more. And Jesus gave that gift to us that gives us the ability to walk into those places and follow Jesus in the hardest of times. And you know, it's only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can obey the teaching of Jesus to follow him with all of our heart and with all of our passion. Guys, the Holy Spirit, you know, I wrote here, the Holy Spirit assures us of the Father's love. The Holy Spirit, if you don't know this, he makes the things of Christ to us really real. He makes the gospel precious to every one of us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and assures us of forgiveness when we repent. The Holy Spirit does that. We don't need man to go, Good job, you repented. No, the Holy Spirit does something inside of us and we feel this peace begin to roll over us. He transforms us from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, Paul is speaking to this crowd in 2 Corinthians. You know, he, he's speaking really to the people of Israel and he's describing a condition that affects every human heart. 
if we're not born again, if we have not come to Jesus, it's because we still have a veil over our heart. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Let's talk about that for a moment. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a powerful. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. Forgive me, it is a translation, but I love the way it reads because it really drives home the point. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And I'm going to start in verse 3. He says, as a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Remember, Paul preached the gospel of Jesus to these people, and they came, they left the law and came to Christ. They begin to walk in the new covenant. Amen? And it says, as a result of our ministry, oh, I read that, not, um, but on tablets, okay, not with ink, but of the spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. Oh, we carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything on our own strength. They understood that too, that apart from the spirit, we can't do anything. And then he says, for our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. That's where our power comes from. Some people think they, 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 they can buy this anointing in a box, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah, some of you are very gifted, but at the end of the day, man, our confidence in what we're doing really comes, really comes and flows from God's empowering presence. Some would call that God's amazing grace. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit, the spirit pours out life. And then he goes on to talk about the greater glory of the new covenant, and he begins to compare the new covenant with the old covenant. Both of them had glory, but the latter one has a far greater lasting glory that goes on forever and ever. And, and, and despite... Despite their privileged position as God's chosen people, the Israelites, his revelation, God's revelation to them of himself through the law of Moses, still they could not reach an understanding about who God is. Why? Because they still had this veil over their eyes and their heart, it says. And Paul does this beautiful job. He begins describing how this separation is caused by human sinfulness and by hardening of their minds. And he, again, he describes it as a veil that lies over their hearts and their minds, that keeps them from seeing. And herein lies the problem. Many of us still struggle with a veil over our eyes. We're having a hard time seeing the glory of God. And there's a reason for that. Let's go on reading. Verse seven. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, came with a dazzling measure of glory. It did. It was powerful. Though it produced death, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. And it goes on. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? Because when we receive Christ, he is now inside of us. 
And it's Christ in us that shines out to the world around us. That's why people sometimes come up and, man, what, what is it that you have? Or sometimes people just really like being around you because they feel something different. It's the Spirit of God. It's Jesus in you drawing them to you because you have something to share and to give to them. Right? So is this fading ministry, Ooh, let me go on. What was once, how much more does this ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory. He's talking about the old covenant. But now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. This is powerful stuff, guys. We are not like Moses who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened for even to this day, the same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. Now again, he's speaking to the Israelites here, but he says here, the veil has not been lifted for them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. That is powerful. When we come and we understand this call to follow Christ, there's something in us that needs to rise up and go, okay, I'm ready. And as we do, we begin to lean into it. God begins to pull the veil back. And we begin to behold his glory. We begin to see who we are really called to be, who we really are in him. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. Interesting here, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. A lot of people think Lord being Jesus, but that's not what he's referring to. The Holy Spirit is called Lord here. It's interesting. I'm referring to this as the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. So wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So wherever the Holy Spirit resides, there is freedom. How many of us know that we have the Holy Spirit within, within us? A lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit, but when people begin to understand that the Spirit of God wants to walk with us, needs to dwell inside of us, that's what empowers us. We can draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of Jesus. We are being transfigured into this very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transformation, transfiguration, excuse me, comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul, Paul really, what he's doing here is he's, again, he's giving this point that we can't remove the veil by ourselves no matter how sincerely we want to, no matter how sincerely we try, no matter how hard we study, no matter how hard we lean into it, no matter how long we pray, we cannot remove that veil. There's only one person who can remove that veil, and sin stands in the way of keeping us from God's glory. The only one that can take our sins and take them away and wipe it clean is Jesus. He's the only one who can do that. And Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's sin that keeps us from entering into all that God wants and has for us to do. And Paul adds, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
He's saying it's replaced by this rock-solid hope that we get to share in, in, in God's glory for eternity and beyond. That's powerful stuff. So the veil is only removed through Christ. Now, Paul goes on in a lot of his teaching talking about walking in and with and alongside the Holy Spirit, right? He teaches us many times over and over again how important it is not only to be filled with the Spirit, but to walk out our lives. Constantly asking for refilling as we move along. It's not a one-time deal. This is where a lot of people have gotten this wrong. It, there is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time shot. There, it talks about a well, and then, then, then he moves on to a spring, and then, a, 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 I mean, it turns into rivers. I mean, it just turns into an ocean. It just keeps growing as we're continually coming back to Jesus saying, God, I cannot do this alone. I need your help again and again. Father, just fill me again. How many of you have been filled more than once? Yeah. How many have installed the drinking fountain in the house? Yeah. <laughs> Paul says in Galatians, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying, it's this flesh thing, it's this sin thing that I'm struggling with. But he goes on to say, hey, here's, here's the antidote to that. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you want to squelch that war that's going on between the desires of your, your flesh, you want to put that down, you want to wipe that out, here's the antidote. Just get up and start walking with the Spirit each and every day. It says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So Holy Spirit, will you duke it out with that part of my being that wants to just flake out all the time? And he will do just that. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes into the acts of the flesh. And the list is long. The list is long for the acts of the flesh. He talks about sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He said, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there are people who want to dabble with that, saying, you know, I, it's okay for me to put my foot over here, but these are the, a lot of these are the same people who come back and they keep cycling through the same issues. It's time to get over that. It's time to move on. Quit camping in that same spot. And, you know, as we begin to walk in the Spirit, there is fruit that begins to come. You know, Greg gave the word about the fruit. That's a powerful word. And that's a word that all of us can walk in. And that is, if we walk in the Spirit, there is love. This is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says, against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have been crucified have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So as we're walking with Jesus, there is a cadence that he wants us to keep moving in. And as we continue to put one foot in front of the other, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, yeah, you'll get to those rocky roads and you go, I don't know which way to go. There's a hike up on uh, Mount McLaughlin. And 
you get up to the top when you start coming down if you're not paying attention you can take the wrong trail how many have experienced there you go <clears throat> yeah we had a student here years ago who was a boy scout and <laughs> unfortunately he took the wrong trail and him and his other scout they were a bunch of scouts out there he got they got epically lost and they had to bring in search and rescue and they finally found him and he said mr t he said you know we started down he said it 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 it, it just looked the same There will be these points where you get to this juncture in your life, this, this confluence or whatever you want to call it, and you get there and you go, uh, 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 and you go, I've been here before. Ask the Holy Spirit. And if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, he'll say, no, 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 you go left. It's not right. Remember? And you'll go, yeah, you're right. Now, now the other way may have looked really cool and good, but that's the way the enemy wants to take you down because that road is really wide and it looks really well-worn because it is. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. So if we're going to be in-step followers of Jesus, we need to realize, like we shared the first time, we live with radical abandonment to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? And, and we learned that as we follow Jesus, he wants us to put him first in all things. But one other cool thing about following Jesus is we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk this walk. But here is, here is one of the challenges that you and I face. I believe with all my heart that there is a powerless gospel that has been and is being preached from many pulpits across the country. Now, to the contrary, the church that he established, Jesus here on earth, it was called, he called him to, to preach the gospel and to watch it be confirmed with signs and wonders, with power, with anointing. Mark 16, 19, Jesus says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. Listen, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Again, there is a gospel that's being preached. And, and, and it's sad to say, I think, that many churches today, hear me, guys, I... I I, I, I've worked my whole life to be really balanced in spirit and truth. That's one of my biggest passions. I believe in both, but I believe that there is a healthy balance, right? I've watched people that are so heavy into the word. I mean, they know the word. It's like, whoa. But at the end of the day, there's no life in them. And then I've seen people in the spirit that are just bouncing all over the charts because they don't have any throttles or valves that come from the word. They help us navigate this, bring this out. So to me, again, it's sad to say that many churches today are content with only preaching the word of God, and I think that they preach it with no expectation of anything supernatural, signs and wonders, anything happening. The other day, the other day we met, <clears throat> I, I had, a, I had a, a friend, I'll be very careful here, I had a friend come up and he asked about the deliverance ministry, he wanted to, was curious about it and was thinking about coming, he goes, but what is it? And I shared with him what it was, and, and he is a pastor, and he goes, what? That still happens today? And he comes from a really solid word-preaching church. He goes, now, in Africa, we've seen that happen. Well, well you think they, they just stay in Africa? I mean, how does that, I mean, it doesn't work like, they're everywhere. That's why we see so much going on around us, because there's so much evil right in front of us. 
It's, it took my breath away. And, and I, think, I think this type of word-only ministry would have been completely foreign to the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1. He said, because our gospel came not to you simply with words, but also with power. He says, with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. I believe that as we share Jesus with others, that there needs to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I believe that it's absolutely essential for effective ministry. That doesn't mean that God shows up, there's a shaft of light and smoke comes out of the ground and, and all this stuff happens. <clears throat> but something, they have an encounter with Jesus when we have an encounter with them. We are, we are simply the mirror reflecting the glory of God, the radiant beauty of, oh my goodness. And they come and they have in, they're in contact with that. And something changes in their heart. Amen? And they're able to look at that and go, you know, I don't know what it is you have, but can I have some of that? You know, this, this thought that signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word of God is a fact. I believe that with all my heart. Again, that doesn't always mean when we share Jesus with someone, we're going to get a really good response. But I believe that they're wrestling with the Spirit. And that may be a journey. I've had others I've, uh, I've shared truth with, and, and they go away. And then a couple days later, there's this knock on your door, whether it's your uh, email, a text, or physically on your door. And they're just going, you know, I really thought about what you shared and just really gripped my heart. Can we talk? This is one of the realities I love about being a follower and a believer of Jesus in such a time as this. That not only do we have direct access to God, but we have direct access to the power of God. We get to walk in the authority of God. And, and I wrote here, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have God's authorization and ability to heal, to restore, to renew, and to lay hands on the sick and see them set free. We have the ability to cast out demons. We have the ability and the, and the authorization from God himself to set the captives free. <clears throat> so, for most of us, moving and walking in signs and wonders, it, it just didn't happen automatically out of the gate. It didn't for me. But as I grew in my understanding of God, and as I began to walk out my faith, I began to see it happen. I remember the very first time we prayed for somebody and they were deaf in one ear. And I kind of went into it like, well, we'll see. Now, hear me, because I have I've grew up with this. I can't tell you how many times people have tried to rip my arm off me and, and, and lay hands on my, my stump and just say, Jesus. I mean, you're like, I went to Bethel one time. This happened twice down there. They're trying to unbutton my shirt so they can rip my arm off me. <clears throat> and, and it's like, I was there because I wanted healing in my heart. Now, God could have given me a new arm, but if my heart wasn't right, I'd still be a, a rascal. I want my heart healed. for. That's why I've had some friends in wheelchairs, and I've shared this before. They come in, and they, they get a little sketched about coming because, because they think people assume they want to stand up and walk. Yes, they do, but first of, and foremost, they want this heart thing fixed. And a lot of times, it's, it's bitterness towards what happened to them. It's bitterness towards those who... who who have done them wrong or caused the accident, whatever happened, and there's a lot of that. They want that dealt with first. Right. 
So like I said, we were praying for this young lady, and she said, I've been deaf in one ear. And again, I'm going to this going, okay, been here before. All right, in Jesus' name. And something happened. My faith was challenged, and she went, oh. She said, I, I heard a pop. And, and she said, someone started doing this. She goes, oh, I, can, I can hear that. And at first I thought, come on, is she, is she, is she making this up just so we'll leave her alone? Oh, yeah, I can hear her. I can walk now. Just go away. No, she was like doing cartwheels, not literally, but she was spinning in her heart. She had an encounter with God. And man, that, that was, I was very young in the Lord, and that really bolstered, bolstered my ministry, took my faith to another level. So then from then, I was like, well, that's easy. And it just kept increasing as time went on. But the key to walking in signs and wonders, how many would like to move more in signs and wonders? Yeah. I just got a little bit more here to go. Well, I think the key to walking in signs and wonders starts right here in your heart. The heart, this is, this is what I've learned over the years, is that the heart is the bridge between the seen and the unseen world. I'm talking about the spiritual heart, the innermost part of your being. The seen world is what you see with your natural eyes, right? And the unseen world is what we see by faith or with your eyes closed. There is a big difference. Here's the challenge. When you walk with your eyes wide open, it's easy to see the hurt. It's easy to see the pain. It's easy to see hunger. It's easy to see brokenness. It's easy to see how lost people are without God. But if we're looking at the same people with our spiritual eyes, we begin to see that there's an answer and there is a hope and they don't have to live this way. It, it's our job to, to, to come to them with the message that brings that hope to them and to lay hands on them in a way that that power comes out and they're healed and they're touched. That's really the, the ministry of Jesus and that's what we're called to do. So if we focus too long on the things around us in the natural, which a lot of people are doing right now, they're looking at the natural just going, it's all going there in a handbasket. It's getting ugly. Now, I'm not saying we don't be wise as serpents. We don't look around and we don't keep our eye open. But at the same time, we're looking at what's going on behind. When someone's in my face and they're upset and they're torqued, I just say, Holy Spirit, keep me from taking my hook. No. <clears throat> I say, Holy Spirit, what's really going on? And God begins this download and you begin to see through all the yelling and the hooting and the hollering what's really broken in their hearts. And the Holy Spirit will give you a strategy to help navigate them back into a safe harbor. But here's what happens if we focus on the natural things too long. These things that we're watching can break our hearts. They can blind us to the wonders of God and what he's doing around us. And it allows us to become mired in doubt and unbelief. And that is the killer. That is the killer of signs and wonders, doubt and unbelief. So in order to perceive, that is to spiritually see and to walk in signs and wonders, it's absolutely necessary for us to walk by faith with our spiritual heart. And the only way we can do that is couple up with the Holy Spirit, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. Here's the deal. Our minds have this weird ability 
Um, but only so far. It ha really has limitations on it. And, and the heart, I, I should say, the mind has limitations that the heart does not have. And that's why the scripture tells us that the heart is greater than our mind. When we, when, let me explain, when we exalt our own reasoning and our own observation over the truth of God, we start trying to rationalize it away, maybe even explain it away, or that scientifically, outside of the area of physics, this just isn't possible. When we go that route, we make it harder and harder to experience signs and wonders that really should be rooted and grounded in faith, right? So on the contrary, on the other hand, when, when we cultivate a heart attitude that is passionately seeking a very deep and ongoing relationship with God, it awakens in us the potential for more miracles around us, and our belief in a wonder-working God goes to a whole nother level. Again, we're back to the Holy Spirit. Today, I know I said a lot, it's kind of like a smorgasbord, but it, to me, this big thing is, is there still is a veil over many of us in this room, over our hearts. That's really, maybe part of it's lifted, and, but we're still struggling and we're still trying to see and it's a little dim and foggy and misty, but yet we know there's something there. And, and I want you guys today we're going to take a moment here, and I want you to look inward into your own spiritual heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and take you down that corridor of your heart. And if you find belief there, great. But if you don't, if you find that there is a door that's been open and you've allowed doubt and unbelief to come in, man, it's time to deal with it. Because God wants to move us into a place where we truly do become those signs that make people wonder. I don't want to be a church that just preaches the word only and we have no expectation of the power of God showing up. When you share Jesus with people, I hope you have the expectation that God is going to answer the cry of his heart or he's going to show up. Because guys, here's the deal. Any imbalance in these areas, you get a, a belief and doubt. If it's, if it's out of balance or like spiritual perception or even physical sight, if that's out of balance, it really can give unbelief a foothold. And if you give unbelief a foothold, it will cloud your senses. It will make it really hard for you to believe, to see, to hear that whole, that whole Psalms 40, uh, 34 scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It just doesn't work because something's out of balance. Well, here's what happens. Doubt and unbelief in what God's word declares introduces what is called the lie of lack. It's introduced into our life. If, if we have doubt and belief there, all of a sudden this, this lie of lack comes in. The lie of lack is this lie that comes in and introduces questions. It never brings solutions. It robs us of the manifest wonder of God's abundance, his care, and his love for every detail of our lives. Doubt, unbelief. We gotta get that dealt with. So how many's in? How many would like to get that dealt with? How, how many would like to shut down that lie? That, that <clears throat> man, you just don't have enough. And there's reasons for it. You don't have enough because... And a lot of it is lies that were spoken over your life. One of the things that Rebecca teaches in, in a deliverance ministry is people believed into these lies that have opened the door for the enemy to come in. And, and, and your spirits have been crushed. My father was a great example of that. He, ha he had this <laughs> belief that would only take him so far. And you'd say, Dad, you're a mighty man of valor. And he would say, no, 
No, he could not go that far because he had been told he was stupid, he was an idiot, he had never amounted to anything his entire life. Many of you have had things spoken over you. Many of you have had things said to you that crushed your spirit. And it's opened up a door. It's opened up a door for the enemy to come in and make a camp. And when someone comes up to you and says, man, that's awesome, you're like, ah, no, 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 it's not. Ah, you know. Man, it's the enemy ripping you off. So let's stand. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be all in. I think we can agree to that. But there are reasons that keep us from following Jesus when it comes to that dark, hard spot. And I believe it has something to do with sin because we've allowed doubt and unbelief to come in. And instead of looking at the world through the word of God, we start to look at the world through our natural eyes and we lose heart. And many people want to take their football and go home. So, Jason, I just want to invite you guys to come up, if that's you, if you've been wrestling with fear, you've been wrestling with doubt, you've been wrestling with unbelief, God is too good, God is way too good to not believe. Amen? So just let this song wash over you, worship song, and I'm telling you, worship with anticipation instead of reservation. Worship knowing that God is going to answer the cry of my heart. Amen? I'll crank that up, Jason. I Thank you, God. Too good to not believe. You're the one.